Okay, we're back. Expedition 2, Chapter 2, Ascend the Cnobolus, April 6. Accompanied by two men carrying barometers and my theodolite, I ascended the mountain of Cnobolus, distant from Bury, about 12 miles. I was desirous of connecting the map of our intended journey with that summit because it is a prominent point in my general survey of the colony. It also commands an extensive view towards the country we were about to explore. Indeed, the course of streams and direction of the ranges within 35 miles around this mass seem only subordinate features. The height of the mountain above the sea is, according to my observations, 4,461 feet, which is a much higher than any of the Blue Mountains. I sought in vain on the azure horizon in the east for the many summits which I had ascended there, but could distinguish none save Mount Lachlan, the position of which, having been well fixed, was, however, sufficient for my purpose. From this elevated group of the Cnobolus chain of heights, from this elevated group of the Cnobolus, a chain of heights of primary rocks extended into the interior, and the base of the chain appeared to increase in width toward the west, as far as the rivers on each side of it had been explored. These were the Lachlan and Murrumbidgee on the south, and the Macquarie, Bogan, and Darling on the north. Choose the direction of my route. I considered this high ground would afford the safest line of route in the winter season to the low interior country, while the heights would also enable me to extend my survey westward with more accuracy as far as they could be seen on this journey. From the summit, I carefully intersected every prominent point on the western horizon and I chose for the direction of my future route that part which, while it appeared to be in continuation of the most elevated ground, yet had openings between summits through which I judge the party might pass. To the southward, I already beheld Mr Oxley's, Oxley's various hills, rising up like so many islands from the otherwise level country on the Lachlan, and far in the northwest, the level blue horizon exactly resembled an open sea, while to the westward, the line of vision was broken by the summits of Croker's and Harvey's ranges. After a careful reconnaissance of these, and other still more distant features, the country seemed to me most favourable for a passage of the bearing of 60 degrees west of north. In that direction, therefore, I resolved to proceed, trusting that he who led Israel like a flock would guide and direct our little party through the Australian wilderness before us. Ascend the Hill of North Bury, April 7. Early this morning I ascended the hill to the northward of the old station and took some angles for the purpose of determining the position of the house at Bury, from which our measurement was to commence. The party moved forward along a road still for the first five and a half miles, when this convenience would serve our purpose no longer, and we struck into the pathless woods. Encamp on the Mandadjeri. After travelling over some connected hills and marking the trees as we proceeded, we at nine miles reached the head of the chain of ponds falling southward, which I named Dokendorus Ponds, and encamped beside them in the valley of Mundadjeri, where the pasturage was good. The whole country traversed this day consisted of grassy open forest land. We measured it first with a perambulator from the house at Uri, but this got out of order upon which Mr Lama, with the chain and Sir Comforenta, continued the measurement. We took with us 15 sheep from Bure to try whether this kind of livestock was available on such expeditions. Cross a granitic range. April 8, 
While the teams were yoking, I rode forward some miles to examine the country and I found very good line for the party to ascend precisely in the desired direction. On returning about nine o'clock, I put them in motion and by eleven we reached a granite formation. The whole country previously passing consisted of, consisting of trap or limestone. The granite formed the crests of a range and where it occurred I observed a remarkable change in the vegetation as well as in the scenery, which was much improved by pine trees Clitoris pyramidalis, whose deep green contrasted beautifully with the red and grey tinges of the granite rocks, while their respective outlines were opposed to each other with equally good effect. At twelve I rode to the bold to a bold summit of herbless granite, whence I observed the Canobolus bearing north 122 degrees east, and took several angles on the hills. King's Creek Following the general bearing of 60 degrees west of north, our route extended along beautiful levels and easy slopes, while bold granitic peaks clothed with pine rose on both sides. The grass was excellent, and even in this remote region, we passed two flocks of sheep. At three o'clock, we arrived at the foot of a small pass, the ascent to which was rather steep, and while the cattle were toiling upwards, I went forward in search of water, but found none in the valley beyond the pass. Having ascended the next ridge, I gained, I again obtained a bearing on the Canobolus, 121 degrees east of north, and an angle with the Kutambul's footnote for an account of Wellington Valley near the Kutambul's. See Appendix 2.4 to Volume 2. 85 degrees, 45 minutes. On returning, I rode down the valley towards the southeast where I met Mr Cunningham, who had found a good water hole, apparently at a spring, with a large rock in the centre. I accordingly conducted the party to it, and we encamped about 4pm. Here we were joined by Charles King, a man whose services I had taken some trouble to obtain, and who gave me now proof of his strength and fitness for such an undertaking by coming from Emu Plains, distant some 145 miles in little more than two two days. For this man I was indebted to Sir John Jamison. The above feat, I thought, deserved to be recorded and I therefore gave his name to the watercourse on which we had encamped. The party was now complete and I was glad to find that Dr. Souter, no longer a new chum, was the best of good fellows with the other men. He had brought a flute on which he played tolerably well, either after the acquisition of a kangaroo or when we had good water, or during a very serene evening. Cross Harvey's Range, April 9. As usual, I proceeded some way in advance, marking the trees to be followed by the party, and I was fortunate in finding an easier ascent for our wheel carriages to the range before us than I had expected. On descending the opposite side, we entered a fine valley, well watered, and which, had we known the country better, might have reached on the previous evening. We next travelled over fine forest land, and by keeping some rocky hills consisting of trap on our right, we headed the deep ravines and bold ranges which appeared to branch from them to the northward. Thus we journeyed along very good ground, the slopes being easy and unimpeded by timber. First view of the interior. At one o'clock I ascended a pick and obtained, for the first time since I approached these ranges, an uninterrupted view of the country to the westward of them. From this point I recognised several hills observed from the Canobolus, some of which did not appear very distant. A square-topped eminence bearing west-southwest a great way off, I suppose to be Mount Granard, and a few other heights more to the westward crowned 
what had hitherto appeared to be a flat horizon. I began to discover, however, that, although apparently flat, this horizon consisted of low ridges intersected by valleys, and I hoped to find among the former one or two rocky points which might be available to my survey. Parched State of the Interior Country It was now evident that no rain had fallen in these interior regions since the summer heat had parched the earth. We had passed today no water except what we saw in the morning, although one green valley, which we noticed on our right soon after starting, probably contained some. The dogs kill a kangaroo. A fine kangaroo was this day seen before us and immediately killed by our dogs. Our journey was prolonged for the purpose of arriving at a waterhole, but we could not find one. Steep descent to the westward. At four o'clock, a view of the country beyond the mountain range opened before us, and being anxious to gain the valley which lay at its foot, I hastily effected a descent, although the ground was steep and rocky, in hopes of finding water before it grew dark. Following the valley downwards, I succeeded, but not until sunset, in finding a, in a crevice of a rock enough for the men. Search for water by moonlight, and camp without any. These carts were then three miles behind me, and although we sent by moonlight for water for the party, the poor cattle could not be watered and were consequently kept in their yokes all night to prevent their straying in search of it. Having examined the bed of the dry creek to some distance below the rock where the water remained, I found its course so sinuous and its banks so steep, the valley itself having no breadth, steep-sided hills closing on the deep dry channel, so that it must have been almost impossible to proceed that way with the party. I therefore determined to explore the country more to the right early next morning, expecting to find in that direction a line of route by which we might sooner be sooner extricated from these sinuous valleys and hilly extremities. I hoped also that we should thus reach some more united channel deep enough to retain a portion of the waters of more favourable seasons. Follow a valley downwards and find water. April 10. I went forward and soon gained a low ridge, the rocky points of which had obliged me to keep the valley in seeking for water the preceding evening. From this ridge I had the satisfaction of following with my eye into the far distant level country a continuous valley, the apparent outlet or channel of all these mountain torrents, and which I had no doubt contained water. Having marked out the best passage I could find to this point for the bullock teams, I descended to the valley before me and after following at about four miles the hollows in the dry bed of the rivulet appeared moist. Luxury of possessing water after long privation. A two miles further I found water in the crevices of a rock and a little lower still abundance for the cattle in a large pond. After watering my thirsty horse, I galloped back with the encouraging tidings to the party, and by 11 o'clock we had encamped beside the water with the agreeable certainty of obtaining breakfast and with excellent appetites for it. Lifeless appearance of the valleys. We had passed through valleys on first descending from the mountains where the yellow oat grass, or antisteria, resembled a ripe crop of grain. But this resemblance to the emblem of plenty made the desolation of these hopeless solitudes only the more apparent, abandoned as they were alike by man, beast and bird. No living thing remained in these valleys, for water, that element so essential to life, was a want too obvious in the dismal silence, for not an insect hummed, and the yellow hues of withering vegetation. We had at length emerged from these arid valleys and entered an open and more promising country, 
Our boats and heavily laden carts had crossed all the mountains in our way without any accident and we had water in abundance. It is on occasions such as these that the adventurer has intervals of enjoyment which amply reward him for laborious days of hardship and privation. The sense of gratification and repose is intense in such extreme cases and cannot be known to him whose life is counted out in a monotonous succession of hours of eating and sleeping within a house, whose food is, un is adulterated by spices and sauces intolerable to real hunger and whose drink, instead of the sweet, refreshing distillation from the heavens, consists of vile artificial extracts loathed by the really thirsty man with whom the pure element resumes its true value and establishes its real superiority over every artificial beverage. Ascend Mount Jusen with Mr Cunningham, April 11. At seven o'clock I proceeded with Mr Cunningham to the summit of a cone, bare of timber, which I had observed from the Conobolus and which bore 138 degrees east of north from our camp, distant about six miles. The ascent was easy, and from the summit, on which Mr Cunningham obligingly erected a pyramid, I obtained many valuable angles with my theodolite on the very distant hills which broke the western horizon. We found the variation of the needle to be 8 degrees 40 minutes east. This hill I named, at Mr Cunningham's request, Mount Jusen. Entered the valley of Gubang. We returned to the camp at half past two, when we found the party ready to start and accordingly we proceeded forward. Our journey was through verdant vales, increasing in width as we followed the channel of the stream we had traced from the mountain, and which now contained abundant pools of water. Meet the natives. At length, the sound of the natives' hatchet was heard, and one came forward to meet me. We learned from him that we were on Burrenville Creek, and that its course was southwest towards the Calais or Lachlan. The range whence we came they called War, Croker's Range of Oxley, and that north of it, Goobang, Harvey's Range of the same name, from which I was also informed a creek of similar name issued and flowed into the Burrenville. The evening was beautiful, the new grass springing in places where it had been burnt, presenting a shiny verdure in the rays of the descending sun. The songs of the birds accorded here with other joyous sounds, the very air seemed alive with the music of animated nature. So different was the scene in this well-watered valley from that of the parched and silent region from which we had just descended. Social encampment. The natives whom we met were fine-looking men enjoying contentment and happiness within the precincts of their native woods. Their enjoyment seemed derived so directly from nature that it almost excited a feeling of regret that civilised men, innovated by luxury and all its concomitant diseases, should ever disturb the haunts of these rude but happy beings. The first native who came up to me was a fine specimen of a man in an independent state of nature. He had nothing artificial about him save the badge of mourning for the dead, a white band, his was very white, around his brow. His manner was grave, his eye keen and intelligent, and as our camp people were encamping, he seemed to watch the moment when they wanted fire and presented a burning stick which one of the natives had brought in a manner of expressing welcome and an unaffected wish to contribute to our wants. At a distance, their gins sat at fires and we heard the domestic sound of squalling children. The scene assumed a more romantic character when, 
like a queen come forth the lovely moon from the slow opening curtains of the clouds, walking in beauty to her midnight throne. Footnote Crowley's Gems. And the soft notes of the doctor's flute fell pleasingly on the ear while the eye was equally gratified by the moonbeams as they shot from the trees amid the curling smoke of our temporary encampment. The cattle were refreshing in green pastures. It was Saturday night and the next day the party was to rest. We had reached in one month from Sydney the plains leading to the Darling, having placed all the mountain ranges behind us and these reflections heightened our enjoyment of the scene around us and sweetened our repose. April 12. Accompanied by Mr Cunningham and three men carrying my theodolite sextant and barometer, I ascended the summit at the southern extremity of Harvey's Range, and which I had observed particularly from Mount Jusen as being the most eligible point to form in connection with that range, a base for extending the survey westward. This hill was clear of timber, and as it commanded an uninterrupted view in that direction, I intersected every point observed from Mount Jusen. The highest summit of Conobolus was just visible over the immediate ranges and what was of also equal importance, that of the Kutambles. These ranges, already mentioned in another place, consist of a group of lofty hills situated about 12 miles to, miles to the south southwest of Wellington Valley and being connected with the general survey enabled me here to fix this station correctly. Mount Laidley springs on the surface of the plains under Croker's range. As we returned across the lower country towards our camp, we observed some places unusually green and found that this verdure was nourished by springs, the water lying on the surface so that in a season when the beds of almost all streams were dry, we watered our horses on an extensive flat of forest land. Such springs must be a very rare occurrence in this country, for in the course of my journeys I had never before seen any. The hill thus Connected with the survey, I named Mount Laidley. Cross Goobang Creek, April 13. The party moved off at half past eight o'clock, and at half past nine it crossed Goobang Creek, or Chain of Ponds. This channel contains some deep pools, apparently proof against the summer drought. The Goobang has its source in the ravines between Harvey's and Croker's ranges, the course being towards the Lachlan. In this and other tributaries of the same river, I observed that all the permanent pools were surrounded by reeds. As we proceeded beyond the Goobang, chiefly in the northwest direction, we found the country tolerably level and to consist of what in the colony is termed open forest land. We crossed one or two eminences, but the carts met with no impediment on a journey of 15 miles. The principal hill consisted of trap rock and was so naked that only one or two trees of the Sterculia heterophylla grew upon it. The native name for it was Pakormungor, P-A-K-O-R-M-U-N-G-O-R. And from its top, I recognised Mount Stusen and Laidley and near me various low features, which I had intersected from those stations. The rock in other places was less elevated, consisted of schist or slate in laminae, dipping to the east at an angle of 60 degrees. Some very rich ironstone also occurred on the surface. The dogs kill three large kangaroos. This day, three large kangaroos were killed by our dogs, one of them having been speared very adroitly during the chase by a native who accompanied us from the last encampment. From Pa Kormungor, 
the country began to decline to the northward, and as we ascended into the basin of the Bogan, it improved in grass. The acacia pendula occurring here reminded me of the banks of the Namoy, and Mr Cunningham had a busy day examining many interesting plants which had not been previously seen on this journey. We at length encamped on a lagoon to which the natives led us, and which they named Kukopi. C-O-O-K-O-P-I-E. Wild honey brought by the natives. We were now in a land flowing with honey, for our friendly guides, with their new tomahawks, extracted it in abundance from the hollow branches of trees, and it seemed that in the proper season they could find it almost everywhere. To such inexpert clowns as they had probably thought us, the honey and the bees were inaccessible and indeed invisible, save only when the natives cut the former out and brought it to us in little sheets of bark thus displaying a degree of ingenuity and skill in supplying wants which we, with all our science, could not hope to attain. Their plan was to catch a bee and attach it with some resin or gum, the light down of a swan or owl, thus laden the bee, would make for its nest in the branch of some lofty tree and so betray its store of sweets to its keen-eyed pursuers, whose bee chase presented indeed a laughable scene. April 14. We continued in a west or southwest direction, passing Gunigul, a large plain on our right, near which there was a fine tract of open forest land. The ground afterwards rose in gentle undulations and was covered with kangaroo grass, the soil changing also from clay to a red sandy loam. Footnote about Gunigul, this we found out afterwards to be a native term for any plain. We arrived at a creek or a deep chain of ponds called Kugoduroi, C-O-O-G-O-O-R-D-E-R-O-Y, which appeared to have come from south-southwest. Further on, we passed plains on our left of the same name and at length we crossed a fine one the native name of which was Turanganu, T-U-R-A-N-G-E-N-O-O. On the skirt of it was a hill named Boar, which we kept close on our left, crossing its lower extremities, which were covered with a forest of ironbark, eucalyptus and foreign forest oaks or casuarinae. Arrive at Tandogo. At four o'clock we reached Tandogo, a fine creek of water descending from the south and flowing to the Bogan. The hill to the northwest, I was informed, was named Bugamel. B-U-G-A-M-E-L. Allen's Water of Oxley, April 15. I halted to lay down my survey and connect it with that of Mr. Dixon of the Bogan. At noon, I found our latitude to be 32 degrees, 45 minutes, 30 seconds south, and on making allowance for the difference between Mr. Oxley's base as to longitude and my own, I supposed we were then upon Allen's Water of Oxley. Advantage of Aboriginal names on maps. In this instance, as in many others, the great convenience of using the native names is obvious. For instance, so long as any of the Aborigines can be found in the neighbourhood of Tandogo, future travellers may verify my map. 
whereas new names are of no use in this respect, especially when given to rivers or watercourses by travellers who have merely crossed them without ascertaining their course or even their sources or termination. He alone should be entitled to give a name to a river who's, who explored its course or at least as much of it as may be useful addition to geography. And when a traveller takes the trouble to determine the true place of hills or other features, he might perhaps be at liberty to name them also. The covering a map with the names of rivers or hills crossed or passed merely in traversing an unknown country amounts to little more than saying that so many hills and rivers were seen there, and if nothing were ascertained further than the connections of the former or the courses of the latter, we derive from such maps little more information than we had before. For that hills and rivers are to be seen in any unknown part of the country is generally understood to be the case before a traveller commences his journey. A future explorer determines without, with much trouble the position of a river in the world's map. This is my river B, says the man who crossed it first, or who by merely stumbling perhaps upon it, claims all the merit of its discovery, even when circumstances may have forced him to proceed in that direction rather than that he was looking for what he found under the guidance of any analogy or series of observations. In the afternoon, I rode back to the hill of Bourg, seven miles with the theodolite, and I obtained some useful angles to various points of Harvey's range, and on such few eminences as could be distinguished in other directions. Excursion with Mr Cunningham, April 16. Mr Lama went forward with the carts in a northwest direction while I proceeded westward, accompanied by Mr Cunningham towards a hill which I had intersected from Mount Jusen and Laidley, at which I expected to find at about nine miles west by compass from our camp. Effects of a hurricane in the forest. We continued along an undulating ridge for about five miles, crossing also a flat on which all the trees, for a considerable extent, had been laid prostrate by some violent hurricane, making it very uncommon, making a very uncommon opening in the forest through which we were accustomed to travel. The trunks lay about due east and all nearly parallel, thus recording a storm from the west before which our tents must have gone like chaff before the wind and where shelter from trees not under them might have been sought for in vain. At seven and a half miles we crossed a chain of small ponds falling to the north, probably Coyce Games Ponds of Oxley, and about one mile further we ascended the northern shoulder of the hill I was in search for. From the summit I obtained angles on one or two hills to the south, which lay a few miles off, but I could not recognise them as having been previously intersected. We descended and proceeded northward through the dense woods, in the midst of which, after estimating distances and time, I at length pulled my rein and observed to Mr Cunningham that I hoped to fall in with Mr Lama or the track of the carts thereabouts. In camp without water... Just then I heard the crack of a whip, and we soon met Mr Lama at the head of the party. I continued the route in the same direction until after sunset we were obliged to encamp without reaching water. Bulger, however, with the assistance of the natives, found some after the rising of the moon, but not until he had been nearly three miles to the northward in search of it. The cattle could not be watered there that night, as they had already travelled upwards of 15 miles. I was aware that I might have made the bogan by proceeding more towards the north, but I preferred the direct line of route, even at the risk of encountering a scarcity of water. 
in the more northerly course, we should have entered a great bight of water, whereas I was making for its most southern bend, which was not only in the most direct line towards Oxley's Tableland, but was also nearer the hills along which I was desirous of working my survey. Rocks of Benny. We moved off at eight o'clock, and at the distance of three quarters of a mile, we came upon some curious rocks of red sandstone forming the tops of a ridge which extended north-northeast. It is called Benny by the natives, and in a deep crevice there is a well, the water of which, although at times apparently deep, had the previous night been drained nearly to the bottom by a party of some tribe whose fires were still burning. Natives leave the party. The natives who accompanied us examined the traces of those who had fled with considerable interest and then fell behind our party and disappeared. From the highest of these rocks I obtained some good angles and bearings on the hills I had seen on the day previous and also on some of the loftiest summits of Harvey's range. Cattle distressed for want of water. Our cattle, having had no water during the night, began to be distressed and I hurried forward, marking out the line and we thus crossed at five miles beyond the rocks of Benny. The dry bed of water appeared to be sometimes the channel of a considerable stream of water. Its sides and bottoms, however then grassy, its depth and breadth very uniform, while the general course appeared to be north-northeast but very tortuous. At four o'clock I had continued to mark the line, being then six miles beyond this channel and anxious about finding water for the cattle, I galloped forward three miles in search of the bogan but without reaching it. The sun of this day was very hot near setting by the time the sun of this very hot day was near setting by the time I met our party to whom I hastened back. They had travelled two miles beyond the dry creek, which it was my intention now to trace downwards as fast as possible, following, followed by all our animals in hopes that it would lead to water. Mr Cunningham missing. While the men were unyoking the teams, I was informed that Mr Cunningham was missing. The occasional absence of this gentleman was not uncommon, but as he had left the party early in the day to join me, it was evident from his not having done so that he had gone astray. Desperate search for water. At that moment I felt less anxiety on the subject, little doubting that he would gain our camp before I returned from the forlorn search I was about to make for water. Leaving Mr. Lama with the rest of the party to encamp there, I proceeded eastward toward the dry creek, whose course I soon intercepted, and I hurried the bullock drivers along its bed downwards until, after crossing many a hopeful but dry hole, they begged that the cattle might be allowed to rest. At length find water on reaching by night to the river Bogan. Leaving them, therefore, I continued my search with the horses, still following the channel until I had the happiness of seeing the stars of heaven reflected from a spacious pool. We had, in fact, reached the junction of the creek with the bogan. Having filled our kettles and leather bottles, we hastened back to where we had left the bullocks. Leaving them to go forward and refresh, I set off at a venture on the bearing of southwest by south in search of our camp. After an hour's riding, the moon rose and at length our cooey was answered. I had previously observed by the moon's light the track left by my horse that morning in the long dry grass and verified it by some marks on the trees. Would that Mr Cunningham had been so fortunate. At that time I did not doubt that I should find him at the camp, especially as we had heard no guns, it being a practice in the bush to fire shots when persons are missing, that they may hear the report and so find the party. 
I then made sure of a pleasant night's rest as I was relieved from my anxiety respecting the cattle. In camp on this river. I had the pain to learn, however, on reaching the camp at about 11 o'clock that Mr. Huntingham was still absent and what was worse, in all probability, suffering from want of water. I had repeatedly cautioned this gentleman about the danger of losing sight of the party in such a country, yet his carelessness in this respect was quite surprising. The line of route after being traversed by our carts looked like a road that had been used for years and it was almost impossible to doubt that doubt then that he would be falling in with it next morning. April 18. We continued to fire shots and sound the bugle till 11 o'clock. Our cattle were then ready to drink again and as Mr Cunningham was probably ahead of us to proceed on our route to the Bogan without further delay was indispensable. In order that we might, in case of need, make such extensive search for him was only possible from a camp where we could continue stationary. We accordingly proceeded towards the Bogan, anxiously hoping that Mr Cunningham would fall in down with our line and rejoin the party in the course of the day. After proceeding due north, eight miles we came upon the bed of this river, but before I could find water in it, I had to trace its course some way up and down. We at length encamped near a pond, and night advanced, for Mr Cunningham came not. End of chapter 2